of the scout team podcast i'm emory hunt the czar of the playbook be sure to follow me on all of my social media accounts and don't forget to check out and subscribe to the football game plan network located at youtube.com slash football game plan keeping with our 2019 nfl draft coverage here at football game plan podcast network what we're going to do today is talk to you guys about the quarterback class because you know we've put out all of our draft content as far as the prospect rankings are concerned. So you can be sure to check that out at footballgameplan.com and also on the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. But like I said, we're, we're going to just overview the quarterback prospects as I had uh, head to Indianapolis this week for the NFL Combine. Um, now that all 767 prospects are great, it felt as though it was cool just to come on here and, and give you guys more in-depth thoughts on what we did as far as the quarterback group is concerned and my overall thoughts on the class and all that good stuff like that because I know you guys have some questions based off the rankings, so I wanted to make sure I try to address as many as I can uh, in this podcast time frame. So, again, you can find all of the grades on YouTube, youtube.com slash footballgameplan, on our website at footballgameplan.com slash scouting. And again, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. Just search Football Game Plan Podcast in your iTunes search bar. Or if you want to listen to it on SoundCloud, go to soundcloud.com slash podcast. So enough of that. This year we graded 75 quarterbacks. And just for reference, last year I only graded 35 or 30, 34, I'm sorry. And 2017, I graded 50. So I thought this class was pretty doggone good. And and the reason why I did 75 quarterbacks was, one, I added an additional all-star game to my travel schedule. So normally what happens, I'll, I'll go to the Senior Bowl, Shrine Game, and Tropical Bowl was added last year. Uh, so this year I went to the FCS Bowl, which was in December, which covered a lot of the FCS prospects, and also uh, the National Bowl, which is at the same time, same week, same stadium. Um, so you had guys from Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, and the FCS ranks were at the FCS and National Bowl. And then I added the College Gridiron Showcase, which was the first week of January, January 5th through the 10th, uh, which features FBS through NAIA prospects. So adding those three extra games, I'm sorry, just added more quarterbacks, exposed me to more quarterbacks that I, that I didn't have listed on my initial watch list coming into the 2018 season. So, it, it's a good thing because I thought this class, as evident by the 75 quarterbacks that earn grades, and there's going to probably be more as we go through the pro day circuit and um, get through uh, that whole time between now and the draft. There are going to be guys that I didn't grade that come onto my list that I get introduced to, and you know you want to make sure you have a good grade on on, on everybody that you come in contact with. So that 767 number that you see right now in our football game plan scouting prospect rankings videos is probably going to be a little bit over 800 by the time the draft hits. Cause again, the pro day circuit guys that I, that I don't have on my list that I should have on my list that I, I'm going to go back in and, and watch um, guys that I may have overlooked 
all of that. The one guy in particular is Jaquan Johnson of Miami. I don't know how I didn't have him on my list. And he was he's a guy that's going to be at the combine. So that's an example of how guys continue to get added to that list of 767 prospects. Last year was 532. This year was 767. So again, just an increase in prospects this year shows number one the depth of the class, but also shows that when you add more uh, All Star games to your schedule, you get exposed to more talent, which is always a great thing. So that's why you see 75 quarterbacks. Two years ago it was 50. Last year I thought you had a really, str- you had to really, you know, go dig even deeper. It was scraping the bottom of the barrel to find the depth of the class. I didn't think last year was as deep uh, as 2017 or 2018. So that's why you see a ton of uh, prospects here on this list at 75 quarterbacks. I thought it was a really good deep class at the group of five through um, FCS to division two level. You know, there were some NAIA quarterbacks on here as well, but I thought the the small college crop this year was reminiscent of what I saw in 2017 and even in 2016. So shout out to the guys developing and just a, a great group of quarterbacks this year, guys that, that can be day one starters, guys that you can develop guys that you uh, can find in other leagues. I think that's always going to be a great thing. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but that's why you have 75 quarterbacks in, in this class. Uh, is, you know, it, it's because I was exposed to a little bit more uh, players, you know, from the all-star game circuit. Now, when you look at the comparisons through um, uh, to the 2017 and 2018 class, first of all, let's start out with the, the top five here. Dwayne Haskins graded out as the number one quarterback prospect. He has a 90.5 grade, so I think he's an excellent player. Uh, impact, day one starter. Kyler Murray was number two at 84.5. Drew Locke was number three at 78.5. Michael O'Connor of the University of British Columbia was at 78. He's number four. And Will Greer at 77.5 was the number five quarterback. And when you compare those grades to last year's class, Dwayne Haskins would have been my number one prospect overall over Lamar Jackson. Uh, And just for reference, last year I had Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, and Quentin Flowers as my my top five quarterbacks. Now, obviously, Flowers moved to running back. So if you want to take him out of the equation, that pushes Kyle Loletta up to number five, and Josh Allen was number six. So that's how I had the quarterbacks rated last year. And 2017, I had Deshaun Watson, Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Kaiser, Philip Walker, and Gerard Evans as my top five quarterbacks. And Haskins would have been the best out of all of those guys in that group. So this speaks highly to his game. And, and when you look at Kyler Murray, I thought in last year's class, he would have been number two, uh, QB2. And it's impressive because when you go back to the last time you saw Kyler Murray um, at Texas A&M, juxtaposed what we saw this year, Two completely different players. Even when he got his first start at AM, I felt as though, you know, he was the number one quarterback coming out of high school. And you you saw the it factor with Johnny Manziel when he first got out there. So you you were just expecting to see that immediately with Kyler Murray. I know he had the, the really good game, I believe, against South Carolina. Uh, but other than that, it, it was kind of like, all right, well, you know, he, he runs a little bit too much for my liking. You know, he's throwing a lot of uh, hope passes, you know, he just hopes that it get, gets complete, and then he starts to fizzle out. Maybe, that, you know what's funny? Maybe it was Kenny Hill. So that's how I initially viewed 
this whole Kyler Murray thing and Kenny Hill. Everybody was supposed to be the next Johnny Manziel. But when you saw him at Oklahoma, completely different QB, completely different player, um, really developed this year. And, and it, shout out to Lincoln Riley because he did that with Baker Mayfield. Because if you look at 2008, uh, 2016, Mayfield essentially was a third-round pick. And then going into the 2017 season, you know, he was doing the same things that he did the previous year, but he was just doing it at a at a high clip. And he won the Heisman Trophy, got drafted number one overall, had a really good rookie season with the Bron- with the Browns. So I, I'm excited to see how he does this year with uh, Jalen Hurts. You know, another guy that you know is not afraid of pressure. You know, is going to uh, give you an opportunity to extend the play with his legs. And you just want to see what development he can make as a passer. If that happens this year and, and you see Jalen Hurts either win the Heisman or be a finalist for the Heisman Trophy and Oklahoma goes to the playoff again, I think it's safe to say Lincoln Riley will be a guy that's going to find himself in the NFL because of what he's done the last three years with the quarterback position. So shout out for him to uh, for shout out to him for developing Kyler Murray into the prospect he is. Drew Locke is another one um, that really got better over last year. Because last year he was just wildly inaccurate as far as, you know, he was just throwing the ball. This year I thought he became a little bit more of a passer. I still compare his game to Derek Carr of the Oakland Raiders. I like Derek Carr coming out of Fresno State. A lot of people were talking about the spread offense, but you go back to where he was uh, earlier in his career under Pat Hill, and he ran a lot of quote-unquote pro-style concepts. He was under center a lot, so he was turning his back to defense resetting his eyes, finding guys downfield. So he did a lot of pro things early in his career under Pat Hill as opposed to what he did, uh, I believe, under Tim DeRuiter in that spread offense. So I thought Drew Locke made a huge jump uh, situationally from a from a passing standpoint. So you like that he's trekking in the right direction uh, as a passer. And, and Drew Locke would have finished right below Sam Darnold in my opinion, with his grade this year. And he would have been ahead of, he would have been uh, sixth in my 2017 class. But I like his upside. I like what he's been able to do. Um, you know, he he is a guy that I, that I do like. I can understand why he's getting some first-round hype. You know, he's but you see the grade drop-off between Locke and Haskins, almost like a, it's, what, 12 points? So there's a significant difference in the consistency of the talent that he portrays as far as you know your accuracy your consistency in that accuracy your consistency under poor under pressure your consistency and in, in able to hit those those automatic throws you still see some throws from Locke that you're like man that's a layup you, you got to hit that uh so but I still like his game I wouldn't have an issue with him going in round one just like last year I didn't have an issue with Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen or Mayfield or uh, Josh Allen going in round one even though I, I probably would have taken Josh Allen in the first round. But like I said last year, you can understand why someone would want to work with him, um, especially within the red zone, because I thought he was better inside the red zone as a prospect than people gave him credit for. He's still wildly inaccurate. I don't care what the fans out there in Buffalo say. He still is not the most accurate passer. But you like he's tough, his toughness. You like that he's not afraid. He has good athleticism. That's going to give him a shot if he can figure out the the passing part of it. But as a prospect, he was very good situationally, especially inside the red zone, which was which was huge. Fourth is Michael O'Connor, a guy that not a lot of people know about. 
he came onto my radar in 2000, oh, this past May, when I was up at the East-West Bowl, uh, which is in Quebec City, Quebec. It was the Canadian College All-Star Game, which is a great thing because they, pay, they play their All-Star Game before the season, which is fantastic. Number one, because weather, obviously. You can't play a postseason All-Star Game in Canada. It'll be snowed out and all kind of snow. So you play it before the season. You also get maximized participation. You also maximize participation, I'm sorry, because everybody's going to get out there and compete because it's the first piece of football before their uh, senior seasons and everybody's out there in front of the CFL scouts uh, and competing. And when I was out there, I just, you know, you, this would be, this would be my fourth year going or would have this past year was my fourth year going to the East West bowl. And, um, you know, two years, I want to say the first year was in, I went, was in London, Ontario at the campus of Western university. Uh, then, it was two years I was at uh, in McGill, at McGill University in Montreal. And then I was up in uh, Quebec City, Quebec, the last two seasons. So one year in McGill, two years up at Laval, which is in Quebec City, and then one year out in Western, uh, which is in London, Ontario. Love going to Canada. We'll be, be, be back up there this year as well, uh, right after the draft for the East-West Bowl 2019. It's in Ottawa, I believe, at Carleton uh, University. So while I'm up there, normally you don't – the Canadian quarterbacks has been an ongoing thing with CFL fans and, you know, wanting homegrown talent. But you just didn't really see the the pop of the arm and, you know, guys that are able to throw with consistency. You know, you have some athletic guys. But when you look at the position uh, at the CFL level, it's the starting quarterbacks are all guys that have played in the United States, you know, college – football players, guys that have NFL experience uh, because of the, the arm and, you know, the level of athleticism because, just, you know, they're going up against guys that are that can rush the passer that normally are, are from the States. You know, you have that ratio of import to export and a lot of the, you know, the offensive lines are Canadian grown prospects, but you never really see Canadian quarterbacks. If they're on the roster, they'll probably be quarterback number threes or, you know, short yardage, goal line quarterbacks. They're never really a starters. So I said all that to say this. When you when I was out there, you're watching Michael O'Connor throw the ball. You just notice, like, man, this ball is traveling. It got to the point where I thought that maybe they have the jugs machine out there and it's somebody's fielding punts um, or tracking punts. I was like, man, that's a, that's a long throw. That's a deep throw. And the CFL balls are, are a little bit different in size. Um, so it, I, to me, it's a little bit bigger than the, than the NFL game, uh, than the NFL ball and college football, obviously. So to throw that football, like O'Connor was throwing it, I was like, yo, who the hell is this dude throwing a football like that out here? And so as I'm watching him, I started to pay a little bit more attention. He's accurate at all levels of the field, fairly good athlete, uh, throwing well on the move. So I'm starting to inquire a little bit more about his game. And I find out that he played high school ball at IMG Academy, which is in Bradenton, Florida. He was a Penn State signee, played at Penn State before transferring to University of British Columbia. And first year there, won a national championship, uh, played extremely well, got them to the playoffs again the following year. This past season was was in the playoffs also and, and broke a ton of records for UBC. So, this dude can ball out. I saw it up in the Canadian game, and then in December, 
he was at the FCS Bowl, and that right there was a chance for me to see, okay, he played three years up in Canada. Let's see how he's able to quickly acclimate himself back into the game, the American game, against guys from the FCS level mostly, and how he's able to you know, make those decisions quicker, get rid of football quicker, how's the accuracy, playing in a, a shorter you know, box, so to speak, as far as the field dimensions. Because you're making a lot of wide throws in the, in the Canadian game, which is great because you see his arm strength because he's able to get that ball there accurately because that's a lot of ground you got to cover uh, and, and get the ball out there. So I want to see all those things, how it translates to the NFL game. And my goodness, he was out there. He was the best quarterback out there at the FCS Bowl. So he was good on tape, both in Canada and what I saw at the All-Star game. And he's down in IMG Academy working now in preparation for a pro day. I think he's going to be a true sleeper in this class because I think he's going to get an opportunity in training camp, and that'll be the name you're here. Oh, who's this guy? You get generally a lot of buzz, and, you know, who's this Canadian quarterback? Well, that two years, and he graded out pretty well. Uh, he, I would have had him above uh, Rosen last year, uh, obviously, uh, because of his grade. A lot of these guys this year graded pretty well for me, honestly. I thought it was a really solid class. Uh, people talked about last year's class. Um, I don't think last last year's class was as deep as 2016. I thought 2016 was excellent from the Power 5 guys all the way down to the FCS guys. For instance, uh, looking at my 2016 grades right now, 14 guys graded 70 or above in the – 2018 class so it was last year nine guys 70 or above this year 19 guys 70 or above so that's how I view the depth of this class you know it's really good class uh, guys I think that could at least start some games in the NFL and, and be a consistent start so you look at Will Greer and Will Greer to me people I think are looking at him wrongly if you go back to his Florida games, when they finally put him in the game, I thought he was their best quarterback. It showed when he played. Then he had the suspension, and then he transferred. Then he goes to West Virginia and plays well as a junior. Then he doubles back and plays well as a senior. So he's been playing consistently good football for three seasons, if we're being completely honest. So he's he has a track record of success. He's played well at two different programs under two different systems. And he has gotten better, in my opinion. When you look at his skill set, a lot of what you see from Will Greer athletically, um, situationally, how he throws the football, is very similar to Baker Mayfield and what you saw from him in Oklahoma as both a junior and a senior. Uh, they just didn't have the team success that Oklahoma had. But just judging them as pa as passers, Will Greer and Baker Mayfield are legit the same player. So it's funny to see the the complete disregard for what Will Greer has done as a prospect, um, juxtaposed with Baker Mayfield was. Because, again, Baker Mayfield was considered widely as a third-round type talent. And then his senior year, they had a great year, and he, he blows up and goes first overall. I'm not saying Will Greer is going to go first overall, but if somebody took Will Greer in the first round, I wouldn't be upset because I do believe he's a really good player and he can play. Um, and he reminds me a lot of Baker Mayfield in that regard. So I'm high on this game. I like his game. Uh, it's been consistent. Again, Florida quarterback situation was in shambles. 
and they threw Will Greer in there. He he played well. They were actually competitive. The passing game brought balance, and then he gets suspended, leaves school, goes to West Virginia, and I was at the West Virginia Virginia Tech game at at uh, I was about to say RFK Stadium at FedEx Field, and I, I was like, man, this dude's just balling out of control. He's playing. He's he's a gamer, and you know those those terms that you throw out there. And I was really impressed with what he did out there on the field that day. And that carried him throughout his junior season. He even flirted with coming out early as, a, as an NFL prospect. So I'm glad to see him get out there and, and have a solid week of practice at the Senior Bowl. He's a good prospect. I think he's a starter in the NFL. So if you don't get a Dwayne Haskins or a Kyle Murray or Drew Locke, Will Greer is a nice, I would. I don't want to say consolation, but he's a nice consolation prize uh, for your QB. So that's the top five compared to 17 and 2018 class. Uh, when you look at guys that down the line, it, it, talking a little bit about Dwayne Haskins and why he graded out so high for me, you know, I think the kid is special. And when you talk about special, you talk about guys that are able to do what the position requires it to do consistently throughout the course of a game. And for, for reference, I like Deshaun Watson because Deshaun Watson had the quote-unquote it factor. He had ice water in his veins. He was a guy that it didn't matter what the score was. You know he wasn't afraid of the blitz. You know he wasn't afraid of pressure. You know he wasn't afraid of the situation. He's going to find a way. Now, passing, he he wasn't the most cleanest player. He wasn't the cleanest player from a pure passing perspective. Obviously, some passes sailed. Some passes weren't as on target. Uh, he missed some throws. He he had the questions of the interceptions that he threw. He still has those questions where you're like, man, Watson threw the ball like directly to a guy. Or he forced that throw. There was no need to let that play go on. He could have let that play die. You still see that from Watson. When I looked at Lamar Jackson last year, who was my top guy, I was in love with the athleticism because of his ability to make it an 11-on-11 game. So that was the the trump card, so to speak, to push him up over everybody else. Like, okay, he may not be the cleanest as far as his mechanics. I thought he threw better on the move than people gave him credit for or better in the pocket than people gave him credit for. He he was not as accurate throwing on the move. And you still see me you still see some of these things uh, as a you saw it last year as a rookie with the Baltimore Ravens. When you look at Dwayne Haskins, consistency across the board, just as a pure passer accuracy, decisiveness, decision-making, all of that is excellent A+. He graded out as the top in the class for a reason. And you saw that on film. Just when you were watching, whether you were watching as a as a fan or whether you put him under the microscope of the analytical eye and watch him as a prospect, you're like, man, this dude just makes the right throws all the time. I liken it to when I was growing up and you know, big Saints fan growing up, growing up in New Orleans. And, you know, we're in that during that time frame, the Saints were in the same division. It was the NFC West. So you had the Rams, uh, the 49ers, Falcons. And then later when they added the Carolina Panthers via expansion, you had the Panthers. But growing up as a kid, let's say when I was like eight or nine years old and, and watching the Saints in San Francisco clash every year because they played twice a year because they were in the same division. And the Saints were the only team that used to play San Francisco at the time very tough because San Francisco was a juggernaut. They were the New England Patriots of their time. You saw the San Francisco 49ers on the schedule. 
you're like, oh, man, that, that could potentially be a loss, right? Think it as a fan. But the Saints used to play a lot of games, like uh, 13-9, 12-10, you know, 14-10, 9-3. Those type of games they played with San Francisco. But I always find myself looking at Joe Montana's like, every time he dropped back to throw the football, I just knew it was going to be complete. Like, I didn't even question whether or not it was it was going to be an interception. Maybe they could bat the ball down. I just thought every pass they threw, it was going to be complete because he just it, he just threw it with so much confidence, so poised. And if a pass was incomplete, it was because the receiver dropped it or, you know, got hit and the ball came out. But the pass was where it needed to be to the right player. I get that same feeling with Dwayne Haskins. Like, every time he throws a football, when you see him release it, you just like, oh, this complete, this complete, that's complete. You don't ever get that feeling of, oh, you know, is it going to be complete? Is it going to be an interception? I used to get that feeling, again, as a Saints fan, watching the Saints quarterback throw the football. You're like, man, I hope this is complete. I hope this is not going to be a you know interception. It just has a certain look to it. It doesn't look confident. You don't get that from Dwayne Haskins. Every every throw he he makes, it looks as if it's a confident throw. He's trusting what he's seeing. He knows it's the right decision. He's putting it in the right spot. He's deadly accurate. I, I know there are you know thoughts that he's not accurate. Or I, I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't know how you can watch Dwayne Haskins and watch the run after the catch that these receivers have and question his placement and accuracy. So I just think that's off base. Like a lot of things you see out there, you know. I just find that he is being overly criticized for for whatever. You know, people thought Rosen was the most pro-ready prospect last year, and the same people are now saying Dwayne Haskins can't, uh, you know, he doesn't have the accuracy, it doesn't, you know, he has warts in his game, and nobody's perfect. But if you're comparing prospects, Haskins and Rosen, and saying Rosen is better as a prospect than Haskins was, you might want to sit this one out, you know. But back to Haskins, accuracy was on point, consistency was on point. Even in the games, people say he struggled, and there's obviously factors in why. Um, people bring up Purdue. He had some good throws in Purdue. He missed some throws. No quarterback is. It's funny how Dwayne Haskins has to be 40 for 40, 400 yards, five touchdowns each game in order to be considered okay to go in the first. When guys like Rosen, who uh, I'm sorry, yeah, guys like Rosen who struggled with end games at UCLA with turnovers, guys like Darnold who led the nation in turnovers, you can look past all that and say that he's going to be that, oh, yeah, take him. He's he's a day one starter. This dude, Haskins, has the best accuracy in damn near accuracy history. And, well, you know, it's because that one play against Purdue when they blitz and he got around his ankles, he threw a ball high. See, that right there is what you can't – he can't do that. You, you can't have that that type of, you know, ineffectiveness when you are when you have a muddy pocket. When other quarterbacks have these quote-unquote muddy pockets, it, it, is, uh, it then turns to you got to get him help and weapons. You got to protect him. Haskins is the best pure passer in quite some time. And um, – so when you watch him on on film, you're like, man, this, you wish he had another year at Ohio State. And, and when you think about the quarterbacks that Urban Meyer has had, you know, it's funny because when Urban Meyer got back on the field, he tried to make Dwayne Haskins, JT Barrett, running him with the quarterback. That's not his game. And it took a little bit of work to get Urban Meyer to, to realize that and just allow Haskins to, to do what he does best, which is toss the football around. And I'm, again, 70% completion percentage, 
9.1 yards an attempt, 50 touchdowns, only eight interceptions. When you're throwing the football that often, threw the football 533 times this year, and to only have eight interceptions, to me that that that's a lot of protecting of the football and doing the job pre-snap. So you're seeing the things the right way, in addition to seeing it post-snap. So you're not putting the ball in harm's way. He was sacked 20 times. To, I mean, when you compare that to, what, 533 attempts, that's excellent. Um, you know, so this dude was forced to run, even though I think he can run. And this and this is something that, that black quarterbacks tend to do, you know, because if you do run, they're going to say you're only a runner. Prime example, last year with Lamar Jackson, or two years ago with Lamar Jackson at, at Louisville. Quietly, he played in a pro-style offense at Louisville. It just so happens that he is also an amazing athlete. So he ran for over 1,000 yards as well, 1,500 yards as well. In the NFL, you saw the Ravens just kind of see him as a runner, which is interesting because he never had to do what he did at Louisville and what he was doing with the Ravens. That's a whole new offense or style. He was becoming more of a runner than a passer. But you saw when they let him throw uh, in that last playoff game, by the way, he did lead his team to the playoffs. In the last playoff game, they, they let him throw, and he damn near led them back until the fumble. So because he runs, people look at him as only a runner and ignore the 9,000-plus yards he had as a passer, the accuracy, questions that he that he supposedly had, even though he had, their team led the nation in drops, I believe, um, the lack of interceptions that he threw, juxtaposed to the amount of times they threw the football. So... I think people look at Haskins not running. It's interesting how that works now. Now running is an asset, but last year it was a liability. Can It was like last year, can Lamar Jackson stay in the pocket and, and complete passes, even though he did it at Louisville? This year is, well, Dwayne Haskins stay in the pocket too much. I can't, you, can't, you can't have it both ways, guys. So I think when you look at Haskins from a stylistic standpoint, from an accuracy standpoint, from a decision-making standpoint, he is the best QB in this class by far. So if you're a team that needs a quarterback and you have a chance to get the best one in the class, make the move to go and get Dwayne Haskins, in my opinion. Now, juxtapose other guys in the class. I think that's what makes Haskins special. Um, Daniel Jones is another player that I, that I found intriguing. Uh, last year you heard some buzz about him coming from Duke, you know, the whole Cutcliffe tree and Cutcliffe and Manning, blah, blah, blah. Um, but – Jones has some athleticism. You know, he he had Duke competitive, which is a good thing. Uh, Duke wasn't trash. He capped off his uh, senior season or his career with a, a really good bowl game. But even in that bowl game, you saw, like, the ups and downs within the game. Some great throws, some really good decisions, some terrible interceptions. Um, so you kind of get that with him. You saw that at the senior bowl as well. And, again, I, I look at Josh Allen and um, – Daniel Jones as the same type of guy. I think Daniel Jones can be effective. He's a great athlete. You know, you saw that at times throughout the course of, of a game. I can understand why someone would like him. He reminds me a lot of Tannehill in the sense that uh, Tannehill is a guy that, you know, is solid, but just you're always going to want more. It's almost like I used to call it the Pierre Thomas of running backs. It's productive, but... You know, it's one of those yeah, but players. Like, yeah, he got a thousand yards, but I think we could do a little bit better. You know, yeah, Jordan Howard got a thousand yards, but I think we could be a little bit more exposed, a little bit better at the position. Feel the same way about 
Tannehill, and I felt the same way about Jones watching him on film. But I do get the appeal, and I do think he can. there's a path for him to be solid and capable as a pro. I probably wouldn't take him in the first round. I think he's more along the lines of a second-round type pick. Um, but I can see the appeal, and I can understand it. And it has nothing to do with the Cutcliffe tree because that's something that people love to hang on. It has nothing to do with that. It's just about his individual skill set. But there are also sleepers too, man. I think this class has a really good crop of sleepers. Tanner Mangum out of BYU. And we, it feels like Mangum has been there for 15 years. He had the injury, he had the mission, and all this stuff like that. But I, I found myself thinking that this dude got some good, legit game as a pro prospect. Um, you watched him at times this year. You saw that, him leading the offense down the field and, you know, throwing well on the move. I think he's accurate on the move. I think that's his best trait. I saw him at the Tropical Bowl this past January at the All-Star game. I thought he was one of the best quarterbacks there. Got to talk to him and, and ask him about that. And he spoke about, you know, playing at BYU. And when he first got there, the offense they were in was more of a uh, pro-style offense juxtaposed to what they got now, which is more of a spread offense, and he just didn't have the fit, uh, or, or vice versa, the spread offense versus the pro-style offense. Uh, his whole staff went ahead to Virginia, Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall, and you saw what he did for Bryce Perkins out there at Virginia. That's basically what Tanner Mangan was doing as a, as a freshman, and now at BYU, uh, the offense is different, didn't fit him, and you know, and I, I was like, okay, I, I get you. And watching him throughout the week at the Tropical Bowl, he's like, okay, this dude got talent, man. He, he's making throws. He's moving the offense down the field. And that's essentially what you want the quarterback position to do. It's almost Alex Smith-like. You want guys to make plays when they have to make plays, keep the offense on schedule, move the offense down the field. I think Tanner Mangum can do that. His biggest question is going to be about the injuries. Have have he has the uh, injury bug going away? Has he shaken that? And that's going to be the biggest thing for him. Wilkins, Manny Wilkins of Arizona State, I think is excellent too, is a very underrated player. When you're watching Arizona State prospects, I tweeted this out the other day, talking about how great of a job Hermet was there. I just thought that Manny Wilkins throwing the football, I was like, man, this dude is really making great passes. Now, you want to see him develop some touch. I feel like everything comes out flatline, and you know, it's almost Drew Locke-like as far as the flatline and no arc on his passes. Certain passes he's able to hit, but he's not afraid to make that bang eight throw, and he throws that accurately. He's able to fit it into tight windows or, or shrinking windows. He's get, he's getting it there just in time. He's a good athlete. He had good situational awareness, I thought. I thought he just played well overall uh, as a quarterback. I think he still has upside left in this game also. So I would keep an eye on Manny Wilkins and how he's played and the fact that he's coming from a pro coach. You you know, I don't want to hang on the Cutcliffe tree, but you got to look at what Herm Edwards did uh, with this football team and, and had them playing really good uh, ball. I thought Wilkins made some good throws that were dropped uh, throughout games, and I think he still has that growth in his game that could help him uh, develop, at, at least as a quarterback too, uh, a good quarterback too that you could trust on your football team. Devlin Hodges won the FCS uh, equivalent to the Heisman Trophy, the Walter Payton Award, and he broke Steve McNair's FCS passing yardage record at Sanford. I think he has the Baker Mayfield quality of, you know, he's going to make a play happen. And it doesn't matter if it's third and four, third and 20. He looks at third and 20 as if it's third and four, the same way Baker Mayfield is. You don't see Baker Mayfield look at third and 20 as, okay, I'm going to just throw the screen and we're going to punt and play good field position. He thinks he can get a 21-yard pass. That's what makes him him. 
I like that same quality about uh, Devlin Hodges. And I think when you have the amount of passing and people know you're going to go in there and throw the football and you're still able to have success, that's a that's an endearing quality to me. And he played big in the biggest games. Mississippi State game was huge for him. The Florida State game was huge. His issue is that he tends to trust that 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 mindset can get him in trouble. The same thing, make you laugh, make you cry. He'll put that ball in harm's way, and that's why he's throwing a, a ton of interceptions. If he can clean that up, then he'll be just fine. Like live to play another down, but maintain that level of, of aggressiveness that made you who you are. Jacob Dolagala of Central Connecticut State is another intriguing prospect. I think is a big time sleeper. He reminded me a lot of Joe Flacco when he came out of Delaware. He's a big guy, measuring it at six foot six, two hundred and thirty five pounds at the College Gridiron Showcase. All of six foot six has the same type of throwing motion, good strong arm, uh, arguably one of the strongest arms in the draft class. And he was not utilized properly, in my opinion, at Central Connecticut State. They utilized him more on zone read plays and taking advantage of his athleticism. And when they needed him to throw, I was at the Lafayette game this year, when they needed him to make plays in a passing game when they were down and the clock was running out, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> nice deep throws, intermediate to deep throws down the field, accurately touchdown, got them right back in the game. So he can make throws. At the College Gridiron Showcase, he was the best quarterback there, I thought, um, or one of the best quarterbacks there. So he was making really great throws. And I think NFL teams will fall in love with his quote-unquote size, even though size is not a skill, but they'll he looks the part. And when they pop the film in, they'll see the traits that make him an intriguing player to take a chance on. And I think because of what or how he was utilized at Central Connecticut State, his upside is, is through the roof because someone can unleash him as a passer. He's good off play action. He throws well on the move, got a good strong arm, good athlete. There's a lot to like about Jacob Dolagala, in my opinion. Amir Hall of Bowie State was the Division II Black College Player of the Year, back-to-back winners of that award, broke a ton of records at Bowie State and conference records in the CIAA uh, and Division II records. He broke some of those records as well. His, his talent is how calm he is under pressure. I was at the Wagner game this year, and Wagner jumped out to a big lead, and, and this, again, is playing up. So it's Division II versus FCS. And you saw... Amir Hall not be afraid of the challenge. Leading his team back, got them within one score. Uh, and then, you know, Wagner was able to close out the game in impressive fashion. But you saw a guy throw for nearly 400 yards that day, uh, not put the ball in harm's way. There's a little hang up with his mechanics, uh, you know, that kind of is a little hitch in the stroke that can give an NFL cornerback a beat on when he's about to get rid of the football and, and jump on it. Even though he doesn't throw interceptions, he protects the ball really well. But that's a, that's a, a tick that someone could get a beat on as a pro because everything is a step faster. You talk about going from D2 to FCS and playing in that game well. Well, imagine going from D2 to, to the NFL level. Uh, it's going to be, a, you know, it's going to be a, a transition that he's going to have to take. And it's unfortunate that we didn't see him get a true opportunity at the NFL PA game throwing football because that would have been a true barometer of of his ability as a pro quarterback going from Division Two to the NFL level. So excited to see where he lands and how he's able to play in the preseason. Because I think that's going to help him out a lot. And Dominic Harris is another guy I think is a big-time sleeper from Benedict College, another Division II program. And I think when you look at him, he reminds me a lot of Rohan Davey, just a big quarterback, strong arm, calm, not afraid of, of, of the blitz, and has the arm to really fit the football into a very small window. He was down at the FCS Bowl throwing the football really well, 
you know, and, and was really able to diagnose coverage post-snap and deliver the football accurately with some velocity. You saw him throw the football really well at the College Ground Showcase, so his all-star game circuit has been hugely beneficial to him. And there are some guys that I think that have tools that if you're a coach, you want to work with. And you talk about those toolsy guys like Tyree Jackson of Buffalo. You see all the tools on the paper. It's like an Ikea furniture uh, instructions. You see all the tools and you just got to put it together. You love his arm strength. You love his ability to hit the deep ball with accuracy. You love his athleticism. Uh, what you don't like is the fumbles. You know, he has to protect the football a lot better. The mechanics are, are a little bit herky-jerky, almost Paxton Lynch-like. But, but I think he's a better overall passer than Paxton Lynch. Now, Tyree Jackson is my seventh-ranked quarterback. He has a 74.5 grade. But you see those things, and you're like, man, I, I could work with him. And I think that's a guy you could take in, in round two or three and develop him along the way, put him behind a veteran, even though I think you get better out there playing. But he's a guy that's going to need mechanical work before you throw him out there. Um, he's a gamer. You saw that at the Senior Bowl. But you'd like to clean – you like for him to clean up his mechanics. He addressed that actually at the senior bowl, which is impressive to see. And, and I'm glad he's on, on top of that uh, moving forward. John Lovett of Princeton is my favorite prospect in the class. Here's why in 2016, I called him the FCS Tim Tebow because, and I love Princeton's offense because they, and coach James Perry, who was the OC at the time at Princeton, who then became the head coach at Bryant last year. And now was the head coach at his alma mater at Brown University. I spoke with him about Princeton's offense using three quarterbacks on the field at the same time. He was like, he said it best and bluntly. He was like, listen, I want to put my best 11 out there. And if within my best 11, three of them are quarterbacks, then damn it, all three will be out there on the field at the same time. You saw that at Princeton. And Lovett was more of the, the runner. 6'3", or 6'2", uh, 230, running the football. He had 20 rushing touchdowns in 2016, 10 passing touchdowns to only two interceptions. But he threw – he didn't. He, he was more of the red zone quarterback <clears throat> as opposed to the full-time quarterback because he was splitting time with uh, – uh, oh, man, not, the guy's name slipped my mind. He's the Chad Kanoff who's out there with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, so he was splitting time with Kanoff and was more of the red zone guy that could throw a little bit, uh, but he was mostly the runner. 20 rushing touchdowns. That's impressive. And so with Ken, with, with coming into the 2017 season, you want to see if he was going to make any progressions as a passer or be more along the lines of a gadget guy. Well, he hurt his shoulder, which allowed Kenoff to then have the entire season to himself. And he performed extremely well, which the reason why he was able to not only get a, a camp invite with the Cardinals, but make the team and make the 53, I believe, uh, as a reserve. So Kanoff is good, but Lovett was also good. So now Kanoff is in the NFL, entered the 2018 season, and Lovett is going to be the full-time starter at quarterback. And my God, he made he made tremendous strides as a passer. Boy, did he. And it was interesting because I was on the broadcast for the Monmouth game, and I was at the Princeton and uh, – Princeton and Columbia game. And what I saw from Lovett, both showings were like, wow, this guy has gotten significantly better as a passer. Prime example, again, 2016, he only threw 77 passes for 582 yards, had a 10 touchdowns, two picks, right? 7.6 yards an attempt. This past season, 66% completion percentage, 
over 1,800 yards. They didn't have to throw much. They were, they were averaging 50 points a game. 18 touchdowns, three interceptions, 8.3 yards an attempt. This year, still led the team in rushing with 894 yards, 13 rushing touchdowns, 6.3 yards an attempt, and uh, a perfect 10-0 record Ivy League title as well. And, again, they were averaging 50 points a game. Unbelievable. So he's a tremendous athlete, number one, and also is still growing as a passer. And I was talking to an NFL scout who I constantly see on the road, right? He's a real good friend of mine. And, and we were looking at him at the Columbia game. We were both at the Columbia game. At halftime, we kind of convened around the food, which we always do. And he asked, he was like, man, what do you think of the Princeton quarterback? And I was like, you know what, man? This is my second time seeing him live. I kind of like him. You know, I kind of like how he's he's playing. He's he's tough. He can throw. He's like, yeah, I agree. I, 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 like, I like his passing ability. I, I think he's better than – you know, people give him credit for as far as passer. He threw this out there. He was like, you know, he kind of reminds me of Dak Prescott his last year at Mississippi State and where he was as a passer, as an athlete. Because think about it, which is a good comp, because Prescott coming into that year, everybody thought, like, okay, we projected him to a pro player. He's going to be like an H-back, you know, he's more runner, not really as clean as a passer. Same things were said about Lovett. Again, like I said, I called him the FCS Tim Tebow. He's more of the runner. And you saw him, and now you see guys like uh, down in New Orleans, the quarterback that the Saints use, you know, as a as a wildcat guy. I can't remember his name, BYU kid. Uh, you see him, and you think, okay, John Love is going to be like that. But then the progression that he made as a passer, <clears throat> which is why his pro day this month is going to be huge for him. I, you know, you saw him make those strides, and I think, you know, man, this dude really has a chance to play quarterback at the next level played well in the biggest games and you know that Monmouth game I did the broadcast on he was 21 to 27 330 something yards and five touchdown passes you know also had 71 yards rushing and a touchdown so the dude can really ball out I think he has the tools that you can continue to develop his passing it more of the consistency I think he throws the the, the intermediate to deep well short stuff he has to be a little bit more consistent but intermediate He's he tends to be on the money. Those in-breaking routes, he puts them out there on time. Deep passes, he's able to put the ball on the outside shoulder when you need it to or over the inside shoulder let the receiver run away from coverage. So he's done a lot of good things. He's got the tools that you look for. Um, that's why I'm high on his game as a prospect. And, again, he's probably going to play that uh, Taysom Hill role like with the New Orleans Saints and, you know, have a, a role as a runner, and you know, goal line guy, two-point conversion guy. I get it. But I like to see him grow as a as a quarterback. I think he has potential there to be something special at the position, especially the way the game is going now. You want to have somebody back there that can make it an 11-on-11 game. I think the Hyattsville, Maryland native can do just that, uh, the former Princeton Tiger. Another guy that has some some tools, you know, two guys that were intriguing coming into the year, Jonathan Banks of Tulane and Nick Fitzgerald of Mississippi State. Can those guys really find that level of consistency? I thought Fitzgerald had the really good chance this year to – Blossom and Joe Moorhead's offense out there in Mississippi State just didn't happen for him. And you want to know, okay, is he going to be the Taysom Hill guy moving forward? Is he going to be a guy that's going to find his niche as a passer? 16 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, 51% completion percentage. He just didn't make the steps. And he's been consistent in that area, 54, 55, 51 completion percentage. Um, but the rushing is out, out of this world. 3,600 yards in his career, 46 rushing touchdowns. But the passing part is where you want to see him grow. 6'5", 230, and the combine is going to be big for him and how he tests athletically. 
I, I, I like Nick, Nick Fitzgerald and what he brings to the table. Tools-wise, again, this is where we're talking about the toolsy guys. Can he be that guy for this football team? I think that's going to be, you know, the biggest key for him. And Banks had the injury, was good coming into this year, had a really good senior season, uh, junior season. You want to see him build on that as, as, a, as a senior. Um, it didn't happen for him. He had some, some good games, but it was a lot of inconsistency. But I still think there's enough there for you to take a chance on him and, and have him grow as your QB3. Um, as you move forward. That's why I think these leagues like the XFL and the Alliance of American football are going to be great for a lot of these quarterbacks because they're going to get those reps to play. And, you know, cause at the NFL level, you're not going to get that, that opportunity to develop your game and grow your game. And cause who's going to, how are you going to take reps away from the starter? You know, this, you only get so much, so much amount of time uh, as an NFL player, you don't really get the development that you need. And I think these other leagues, the Alliance, the XFL, CFL, great opportunity for guys to grow their game, polish off their 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 game, and be ready to, to hit the ground running as starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So those leagues, you see it right now with the Alliance, great opportunity for quarterbacks to really step up and make plays. And I think those guys that I mentioned, even though a lot of these guys would be on NFL rosters like your Tyree Jackson, um, you know, those Toolsy guys like Jacob Dolagala, you know, but these developmental guys, um, maybe like a Devlin Hodges or John Lovett or Jonathan Banks, Nick Fitzgerald, those type of players, I believe the additional leagues help polish their game, helps polish their game and makes them into even better prospects moving forward. Um, but when you talk about best, you talk about superlatives. And I think when you look at uh, those superlatives, you're talking about the best arm. I think right now you can make a case that the strongest arm in this class is a tie between Drew Locke and Tyree Jackson. I think both guys throw the ball really well. Guys that are just on the cusp of having those strong arms, Dom Harris, Dominic Harris, of Bendig we talked about earlier, Jacob Dolagala. Best accuracy to me by far is Dwayne Haskins. He also has the best decision-making and the best poise in the class. So I think he's the best overall quarterback prospect in this draft class. Athlete, Kyler Murray, number one. John Lovett would be number two. And I think McSorley, Trace McSorley of, of Penn State, who's another guy that could be one of those guys in the Alliance of American Football, the XFL, that can really thrive and polish out his game. He's another one that's a really good athlete. So that's where I stand on the quarterback class, man. I, I hope I gave you guys a lot of info, a lot of um, background on how my thought process was with, with these grades and what I think about these guys. And I'll put some more stuff out there moving forward. I do like the game of Easton Stick as well. I think Easton Stick is another one that reminds me a lot of uh, John Lovett as far as the game's that he has played and, and playing big games and being everybody's homecoming, not homecoming, everybody's Super Bowl. He has to have played his best game all the time because, you know, you're at North Dakota State. There's no room for error as far as losing. You're going to get everybody's best game. And he stepped up to the plate each and every time, had to step up when Carson Wentz went down and played well. So I think people are sleeping on him in, as far as how good of a player he is. It may not look good mechanically or, you know, all that stuff like that. But for some reason, he moves the offense down the field. He plays well in the red zone. He brings the threat as a runner. He does a lot of things well. At worst, he's your QB, too. So I think Easton Stick definitely has a role as a pro. But that's a, a good understanding of my thought process behind. And um, speaking of, hold on, before I get, you talk about Easton Stick in the Missouri Valley Conference. But no one's talking about another quarterback in the Missouri Valley Conference, and that's Taron Christian of South Dakota State. This is the Dak Prescott comp for me, and I'm talking about Dallas Cowboys Dak Prescott. 
you talk about Christian's ability to throw on the move. He's accurate there. He's athletic. He's he's played both under center. He's played both in the spread. So that answers that question. And you watch him play above the situation. So when you talk about that part of his game, you're talking about a player that, okay, he can go into the Fargo done, which he's done, and knock off North Dakota State, making a, a game-winning touchdown pass at the end, uh, in the end zone on the five-yard line. And what was interesting about him watching him on film, you thought maybe in 2016, 17, as you were talking about him as a, as a quarterback prospect, well, you know, they have Dallas Goddard. Um, you know, they have uh, Jake Winicky. They had a really good defense. Maybe it's everything around him, and he's just kind of, you know, going along with the flow and uh, along the offense. But when you look at this year, when Winicky is gone on the NFL practice squad, I believe in Minnesota, Dallas Goddard is the Philadelphia Eagles tight end doing well. He has no passing weapons. and He put up the same numbers as he did last year. Actually, I thought he did really well. I'm going to pull up his stats right here. Um, but I think for him, it was more along the lines of, wow, this dude really performed extremely well without all the weapons that he had last year, all the pro weapons, 32 touchdown passes, eight interceptions, 8.9 yards in attempt over 3000 yards, uh, 57.9% completion percentage. And the rushing numbers are, are consistent, um, over 300 yards, six touchdowns. So he, he's a guy that, that extends to throw not takes off and runs. He had a really strong week at the College Gridiron Showcase. Keep an eye on Taron Christian. I think Christian is the, the name that will get drafted, that people will be like, wow, I heard of the guy. i seen him play. I didn't know the league was that high on him, but the league is definitely high on him. And you look at 2016 on down, 30 touchdowns, nine picks, 35 touchdowns, 14 picks, 32 touchdowns, eight picks. And, and this is a South Dakota State offense, again, they had the great tight end. They had Jake Winicky. You could you could use those excuses for 16 and 17, but this past season you couldn't use those excuses, and he was really out there playing above the X's and O's, playing above the guys that were around, a lot of young guys that were breaking in that receiver, took less sacks this year, was able to get out of Dodge and make things happen, 13 uh, sacks, as opposed to the 20 and 22 he did years previous. So I think when you look at his game and how he plays on third down, inside the red zone, his accuracy in the intermediate area to short area. I think this dude is the one that that really can shock some people. And to be completely honest, he's my sixth-rated quarterback, so I have him right outside of the top five behind Will Greer. So I am high on Taron Christian. Keep an eye on him moving forward. But heading off to the NFL scouting combine, and we'll have these things going throughout the week. We'll have our post-practice, our post-combine powwow, I'll talk about what I saw at the combine that day and also go into another position. So the next position will be running backs. I'll try to do running backs and receivers in the next podcast in addition to what we saw day one of the NFL scouting combine. So be sure to follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash football game plan. We can check out all of our FBGP scouting prospect videos and also subscribe on iTunes to Football Game Plan Podcast.